few weeks. Uh, you can fill that out uh, during the sermon or whenever and just drop it in the offering plate there. So, um, the story so far is this. We're in the middle of what we're calling one big story, telling the whole story of the Bible across 50 weeks. And the story so far is this. God created the world. Shocker, right? Spoiler alert. God created the world, and he created it perfect. It was uh, the perfect place for us and for God to have a relationship. That's why we were created, was to glorify God, but also to have a relationship with him. But it didn't stay there, right? That's three chapters of the Bible. We broke that relationship. Uh, we decided we knew what was wise. We decided we knew what was best. And we said, no, we're going to do our own thing. And we rebelled against God. And the effects of that decision to say, I know what's best, broke everything. It broke not just our relationship with God, but it broke creation. It did. Because God is perfect and holy and just, he had to punish sin, right? He couldn't be where sin was. And so we were separated from God forever because of our choice to say, I know what's best, not you, God. But God created us for a relationship, right? And he didn't want it to stay that way. So what did he do? He began to write a story of redemption. He began to put a plan in place to redeem us back to what we were created for initially, which was what? A relationship with him. And so God chooses this man, Abraham, and he chooses his family, the Israelites, and he says, I'm going to use you to bless all the nations of the earth. You're going to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And throughout the Old Testament, which is where we're at right now, he gives them his word so that they could know how to have a relationship, so they could understand, how do I live in this in-between? Like, we broke the world that was perfect, and we're here and one day it'll be made right, but how do we live? How do we relate to God? Who is God? God gives him his word to understand that. And so he establishes kings and priests and sacrifices and temples and rituals and all these things to help them understand this is who God is and this is how you relate to him. Um, but we would be wrong to think that those were the point. No, no, no. It's like a Band-Aid, right? It's a temporary solution to an eternal problem. And God is working something much bigger than just kings and priests and sacrifices and temples and rituals. They're just pictures. They're just shadows, right? They're not the substance, right? That's not me over there. This is me. That's my shadow, right? And these things were that. They were a shadow, a picture of how we were to relate to God, but they weren't the ultimate solution. See, God doesn't want our traditions. He doesn't want our rituals. He doesn't really want our religion. No, what does he want? He wants our relationship because that's what we were made for in the beginning. Right? He wants to restore us back to that. And ultimately, God's going to be successful in this story. That's a spoiler alert. <laughs> in the end, he does this. He does restore us back. He does provide a way for us to be back together with him. And it's through sending his son, Jesus. Jesus took the death that we deserved because of our sin and, he, and he, he took it on himself, and he paid the price that we should have paid, and he gave us the life that he deserved and we didn't, right? That's the whole story of Scripture. Now, we're somewhere right in the middle of that story, and I just ruined the ending for you. I'm sorry, but we've recently seen how God's given them King David, right? They wanted a king. They wanted a human figure to rule over them, and initially they got Saul, and Saul messed it all up, 
And so God gives them David, who the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. And we, you know, David is the figure of the Old Testament. He's the biggest, but he was a flawed man. Right? He didn't rule um, like God would rule over us. He wasn't a king like God would be the good king over us. He didn't establish the kingdom that God will establish. When, when David dies, he passes his lineage and his kingship down to his son, Solomon. Uh, and Solomon uh, becomes a man of great, uh, great is not even the right word, immense, uh, indescribable, unquantifiable, I don't know what the word is. He becomes a man of immense wealth and peace and wisdom. Solomon had it all, and I want to show you um, how he had it all. First, he had wealth. Uh, Chandler, we can put this up. First, he had wealth. In Second Chronicles 9.13, it describes some of his wealth. And uh, it says that every year his income, so you can think about your salary right now or your, your pay, every year Solomon's income in just gold, Second uh, Chronicles 9.13 says, was 666 talents of gold. And I know you don't know what a talent is. A talent was a weight of measure. It was about 75 pounds. So 666 times 75 is roughly 50,000 pounds of gold each year, right? Uh, now, we don't, we don't price gold by the pound. We price it by the ounce. And at the current price that I looked up on Google on Thursday, it's $1,300 an ounce. So Solomon's income, I don't know what yours is. You can put that number in your head. His income, just in gold, was $1.04 billion each year, just in gold. That's not silver, which they said was as worthless as salt. Um, it's not flocks and herds. Like, this dude had more wealth than you can even fathom. He had it all. Uh, in Ecclesiastes 2, it details some of the things that he did and owned. He built houses. It's nice that you have one. Some of you might have two. He built, like, subdivisions. He built cities, right? He planted vineyards. It's, it's cute, your little garden with some tomato plants and some peppers, right? Solomon planted vineyards. He didn't just plant a tree in his front yard. He planted forests, right, Rob? He didn't just plant one. He planted forests. And he, it's cute, your little sprinkler system in the front yard because he planted, he built lakes to water those forests, right? right? Anything you've done or had, he, he had immensely more. He had slaves and horsemen that were numbered by ten thousands, not by tens. He had herds and flocks that he couldn't even count. He had it all. Now, I don't know what your 401k is or what money you have in a savings account right now, but you will never touch the wealth that Solomon possessed. He literally had it all at his fingertips. This next one, he didn't just have wealth, he had women. And I don't know how to say this except to say what the Bible says, okay? So just bear with me. First Kings 11, 1 through 4 describes this, and it says, I, you can go look it up because I'm just reading it. It says, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines, which as best I can tell, were women that were just there to please him. That's a thousand women. And we know these women were both foreign and domestic. They were from the Israelites, but they were also from Egypt and all around the world. Again, I don't know what to say, but Solomon had more than any of us will ever touch. He had more experience, more pleasure. I don't even understand all that, why you would want a thousand wives. 
but he had it all. If anybody could ever say, I had it all, Solomon was that man. He experienced way more than you ever will. He had more than, than you ever will. He didn't just have wealth and women. He also had wisdom. 1 Kings 4 verse 34 uh, describes some of this. But it says that Solomon's wisdom surpassed all the people of the earth. Anybody who had ever been before him and anybody who would ever be after him. He had wisdom beyond anything that anybody had ever had. Um, he was the definition of trending and viral before that ever existed. Kings and queens and rulers from all over the world came to hear what he had to say. <laughs> right? He had it all. He had power. He had influence. He had wealth. Anything that he wanted, he could have. And he did. And yet, even though he had it all, this is the point, <laughs> it never satisfied him. Never over and over in one of his books, Ecclesiastes, he says, as he reflects on his life as an old man, he repeats all these great things that he had, these experiences that he went through, these possessions and the wisdom that he had, and he uses a word in Hebrew, Havel, to describe it, and the word means meaningless or vanity. I think maybe the best word for us would be empty. His life was empty. He looked at the end of it with his big bank account, his power, his influence, and he, he looked at it and he reflected on it and he said, you know what? It's all empty. There's no substance to it. The things that he spent his life chasing left him empty. In Ecclesiastes 1, 12 through 14, I don't think this is up there, Chandler. Yeah, he says he chased wisdom. Here's what he says. You can turn there in your Bible. We don't have to be dependent on this. Uh, Ecclesiastes 1, 12 through 14, he says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun. Behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. He says, I've seen it all. I've, I've touched it all. It's empty. He chased wisdom, and it didn't satisfy him. He chased pleasure, Ecclesiastes 2, 9 through 11. It says, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Think about that. Like we drive down the road and see a nice car and go, man, that'd be nice one day. He says, if I saw it, I got it. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. And then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity. It was empty. It was a striving after the wind. It was never to be grasped, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. He sought wisdom, and it didn't satisfy. He sought pleasure and it didn't satisfy and he sought work and it didn't satisfy ecclesiastes 2 18 through 19 says i hated all my toil in which i toil under the sun seeing that i must leave it to the man who will come after me i think this is funny because his sons are reading this right his sons are probably reading what he wrote and he says oh, i gotta leave it to the, my sons and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool Yet he will be master of all for which I've toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. Solomon at the end of his life looks at his life. And he's had it all. 
He's touched it all. He's tasted it all. He's experienced it all. And the word he uses is it was empty. It was vanity. Now, this is one of the biggest temptations that we face, I believe. Um, I, I think we think and we are tempted to believe that if I just had blank, then I would be satisfied and complete. If I just had that, if I just had this, if I could just get to this point, then I would be satisfied and I would be complete. And if I could just grab hold of blank. Now I want you to stop. What, what is it in your life? What do you fill in that blank with? What is it that, is, that, that, that promises this, this satisfaction, this pleasure, this perfection, this completeness in your life? What is it that you're like, man, if I could just grab hold of that, then I would be complete? I think for a lot of people, it's a career, right? It's a, I mean, if I could just get a job where they respected me and I loved it and they paid me really well, maybe beyond what I'm worth, right? If I could just get that, then I would be satisfied and complete. A lot of people, it's family, right? If I could just have a husband. <coughs> Sorry. If I could just get a wife, if I, could, if I could have a kid, if I could have another kid, if I could, if I could have in-laws, if I could have whatever, whatever that family is, right, that you long for, people think, man, if I could just get that, then I'd be satisfied. Some people, it's respect or love from a person, right, that you, maybe you never got. If I could just have him love me, if I could just have her respect me, if I could just have this, then I would be satisfied and complete. Some people, it's just straight cash, right? right? If I could just have more than I need, if I could just have extra every month, then I would be satisfied and complete. Some people, it's health. Some people, it's peace. Some people, it's wisdom. We all fill in the blank with something else that we're longing for and searching for. And we think if we just had that, we would be satisfied. And if you hear anything else, if you only hear one thing today and you hear this, Solomon's life, his example, and his writing should show us none of that will ever satisfy. <laughs> he, he lived his life as an experiment to show that no matter how many women you have, no matter how much wealth you have, no matter how much experience you have, no matter what you fill in the blank with, his life shows us that the only thing that will ever satisfy us is what we were created for. In the beginning, it was initially to have a relationship with God. And when we fill in that hole in our heart with anything besides something that's God, we'll get to the end, and the word that will describe our life will be empty. Because we sought after satisfaction in something that could never satisfy we sought after fulfillment and something that could never fulfill us. Solomon's life is meant to show us that. So I want you, we're going to take a look at some teaching of his and some stories of his. And then we're going to come back to that because that's what we need to think about today. What is it that I am putting my hope in, my, my satisfaction in? And if it's anything besides God, I'm just here to tell you, you've missed the point. If it's anything in my life, I've missed the point. Because only God can satisfy that. Flip to 1 Kings 2, if you got your Bible. It'll be on the screen, too. 1 Kings 2, 1 through 4, it says, When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, 
I'm about to go the way of all the earth. These are David's final words to his son. He says, be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So David grabs his son, his dying words to his son. What were they? And walk in the way of the Lord. He says, if you don't do anything else, don't worry about who you put as, as, as this ruler and where to put that city. He says, don't worry about all that. Walk in the way of the Lord and you will prosper. He says, and so will the whole nation of Israel. God will fulfill his plan through you. And David just lays it out there. He's an old man reflecting on his life. And he says, if you don't do anything else right, walk in the way of the Lord. What he's saying is your relationship with God is most important as a king. Your relationship with God is what will satisfy you. Don't go chasing other things, right? Now, it's, it's really ironic and interesting because David and Solomon will both say this, right? They both know it to be true, that the only thing that really will satisfy them is a relationship with God, but they also live differently than that. They also at times seek their satisfaction in women or wealth or power or whatever, right? And we're the same way, right? We can confess one thing with our mouth and go and live another, and that's some of what's happening here. Go to the next chapter, 1 Kings 3. We'll see how Solomon gets his wisdom. 1 Kings 3, verses 3 through 14, it says, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. Uh, this is a little bit of a compromise. Uh, these high places were not the place where they were meant to worship God. So we see early in his life, and we're, we're the same way. We can, we can sympathize with, with Solomon. He loved the Lord. Yeah, but he did this thing over here, right? And we're the same way. We're really not that different. Verse 4 says, And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. And Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, in uprightness of heart towards you. And you've kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have Chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Here's what he asked for, verse 9. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but you've asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, 
I will give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has ever been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So Solomon seeks wisdom from God. That's what he asks for. He says, God, just, he said, I don't even know how to go out and come in. I don't, I don't, know, how to, I don't know how to do what I'm doing, right? And he says, God, I need wisdom. I need a mind to discern what is right. Now, here's, the, here's an important truth for us. We see this in James in the New Testament. In James 1, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should what? I, he should what? Ask for it, right? And God will give it to him, right? If any of you lacks wisdom, ask for it, and God will give it to him. We see that in this right here, too. This is an important truth, and there's a song right now that, that sings this. But God doesn't want to be hidden. God wants us to know him, and God wants us to know what is right and what is good. Right? He's not, he doesn't want to be this enigma that can't be understood. No, he gave us his word so we could understand him, and he gives us wisdom when we need it. Right? He wants to be known. He wants us to have wisdom. And so, just like Solomon, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask for it. God delights to give it. And God gives it to Solomon in a way that is astounding, right? We don't know exactly what this looked like, um, some special gift or whatever, but Solomon had wisdom beyond his years. Now, we don't, most of what we know from Solomon's wisdom is what he wrote, right? He wrote three books. Uh, First, as a young man, Song of Solomon. Uh, He wrote another one as a middle-aged man, Proverbs. And he wrote another one as an old man, Ecclesiastes. So Song of Solomon Um, viewer discretion advised. Solomon wrote it as a young man, and uh, if you haven't read it, uh, make sure you got a parent with you. Um, It's very romantic. It's very uh, passionate, Uh, and it's very hopeful about the future, right? it, It feels as though Solomon in this book, as a young man, is going, man, if you can just get this pleasure that I'm experiencing, then you'll be satisfied, right? If you can just have what I have, then you can be satisfied. But we know it it never did. Solomon wrote Proverbs, uh, 31 chapters. I'm not even going to try to touch uh, most of it today. But it's a random-ish assortment of one-liners, right? About all kinds of different topics, about all kinds of different things. And Solomon wrote it as a middle-aged man, um, where some of you are, thinking about raising sons, thinking about seeing them grow up, and what do do I need them to know? How are they going to be successful in this world? How are they going to walk and live in this world and have success? And it has this feel that if you just do these things, then everything will work out for you. If you live like this, then you'll be satisfied and you'll be complete. But the truth is that that'll never be enough, right? We know that in the New Testament. None is righteous. None is good. And we can't earn our way to God. Solomon is trying through his wisdom to to be satisfied, to be complete. But we know it never did. And finally, Solomon writes Ecclesiastes as an old man. And I think a lot of you have studied it recently in Life Group, yes? Yeah, okay, so this is familiar. Um, And it's a lot of major life lessons it's really kind of a sad book, right, Glenn? Kind of like a, I don't know, kind of 
emo a little bit, right? He just, he just feels a little bit angsty against the world, right? He just feels really, like, let down. Because he's an old man, and he's had it all, and he gets to the end of his life, and he says, it was meaningless. It was empty. He had it all, and it didn't satisfy him. I want us to look at some of the wisdom in Proverbs. Um, Proverbs is... Uh, Proverbs is really practical. It's not, uh, it's not very philosophical. It's not, it's not about God and who he is necessarily. It's not about laws and rules. And it's just really practical. This is how you live, right? And, and the, the, the question that Solomon is wrestling with in Proverbs is, how does the world work? How does the world work? How does the world that God made and we broke, how does it work? There's a show, I think it's on the History Channel, called How It's Made. Anybody ever seen How It's Made? Yes, somebody? Okay, me and a few of us who are mindless and bored. Okay, <clears throat> How It's Made is this show, and they take these random ordinary objects like rope, and they also take really complex objects like a laptop, and they just go into these factories, and they video how they intertwine these strands and then how they intertwine those and how they cut it. And on laptops, how they make the end of each individual part and how it ties together, right? It's really not engaging TV. It's really not dramatic. But it, I love it. I love it. I can get sucked in. Why? Because I want to know how rope is made. I want to know why the laptop works. How they got that part in there to do that, right? How do they put that together? How does it work? And that's what Solomon's doing, right? Proverbs can be just boring and mindless to read, but if you're interested and you want to know, God, how does the world work? How does this work? Man, there's wisdom in there to be had, right? You can understand how things work. And so he takes topics like friendship. So let's talk about friendship, right? Uh, a couple of verses on friendship. Proverbs 17, 9, he says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. What's he saying about friendship? He's saying, if you're going to have friends, you're going to have to learn to forgive. Because if you keep bringing up past stuff, all it's going to do is divide you. So that's one of the ways that friendship works. He also says in 27.6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. What's he saying about friendship? He's saying, you need friends that will tell you the truth that will be honest with you, right? You don't just want people to butter you up. You need somebody that will tell you the truth. He's describing this is how friendship works. Or you can take pride. Pride. Proverbs 12, 15 says this, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. He's saying if you think you know it all, you're really not. You're the most foolish of us all. He said you need to hear the advice of other people. Proverbs 16, 18 through 19 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. What's he saying about pride? He's saying thinking you know it all is a sure way to destroy your life. He says you need humility in order to work in this world. Or money. He takes money. Talks a lot about money. Proverbs 15, 16, he says, Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. 
I don't know that Solomon ever actually understood what it was to have little because he was the son of a king and the wealthiest man ever. But he's looking around at other people and he's going, you know what? Money doesn't solve all your problems. More money, more problems, right? He's saying it's better to have fear of the Lord than great treasure. Or 28, 27, he said, whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. What's he saying about money? He's saying the more we hold on to it, the more it has a hold of us. And actually, the less we get. He <laughs> says the more we're open-handed and willing to give and be generous to others, actually, the more we'll get. It's backwards. It doesn't work how we think it ought to. He talks about our tongue, our language. Proverbs ten nineteen. He says, when words are many... <laughs> This is funny to me. When words are many, transgression, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. <laughs> Saying if you talk a lot, you're going to mess up. <laughs> you're going to hurt people, right? That's what our words do. The more you talk, the more you can hurt. He said sometimes it's better to shut up. Sorry, Mom, I said the S word. Um, or Proverbs 18.21, he says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. We see this with the epidemic of teen suicide today. Death and life are truly in the power of the tongue. So many of these kids who commit suicide or harm themselves, it's because of what they read from a friend on social media or in their messages, right? Death and life truly are. And, and Solomon didn't understand DMs and Instagram when he wrote this, but he knows how the world works and our words have power. He says death and life are in the power of the tongue. And in the same way, a positive word can drastically change someone's life. Right? Our tongues have power and Solomon's describing this is how the world works. There's so many other topics that we could look at. And, and, and by all means, study it, right? Figure out how the world works. But wisdom is um, a few, few principles. Wisdom is an art, not a science. Uh, how many of you are left brain people? So you like art and creativity and writing and music more than you like math. How many of you are like more creative type? Okay, how many of you are more like math? You like rules, structure? Okay, I'm with you guys. I, I, like, I like math, and no one should say that ever, but I do. And it's because there's always a right answer, Mike Werner. There's always. Like, you can always figure it out. You may have to go ask somebody, but there's always a right answer. And wisdom is not like that. Wisdom is an art, right? It's a little bit more creative. It's a little bit more um, figuring out the kind of the hard, sticky, messy circumstances and putting some general principles to it. It's not as straightforward. So wisdom's an art. It's not a science. Uh, wisdom takes time. I like to do woodworking. Uh, not as much anymore. I used to. Uh, I kind of burn out right now. But I like to do woodworking. And it started at a young age. My papa uh, had a workshop. And I, he was crazy because he just let us go in there and do whatever. And we couldn't have been older than 10 using power saws. Anyway, um, it started at a young age. Hayden and I always made guns. The girls always made birdhouses um, or whatever. Hannah just broke all the blades. 
she's not even in here. I can't even roast her. Um, and sorry, what was I talking about? Uh, I got distracted remembering. Woodworking. All right. It's, it's, I look back at some of the things I made two, three years ago, and I laugh, right? I'm like, I can't believe they paid money for that, or I can't believe that's still standing, right? And I look at things now, and I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty good. Like, that thing is really nice. And that's how I thought about it back then, right? But the reason I'm better at it now is because what? Because I've, I've created a lot of burn pile material. I've had a lot of splinters. I've done more projects wrong than I've done right. And wisdom works the same way, right? The older we get, if we're willing to learn and be humble, we get more, right? It takes time. It's not just something that comes naturally to most of us. So wisdom is an art. It takes time, and it takes humility. Um, I think we, we often think in our youth that we know it all. We often think in our pride that we don't need one another. We don't need God's word. No, I know what's best. We make decisions just like Adam and Eve in the garden. I mean, think about that scene, right? Adam and Eve, you've just popped up, and there's this world, and God tells you, look, just, just enjoy. Walk with me, talk with me. Yeah, don't eat that tree, but come on. That's it, right? And what do they do? They do the one thing that he said don't do. You literally had one job, Adam and Eve, right? You just had one job. Don't eat that tree. Like, how foolish of them to think, God, I know what's better than you. <laughs> Have you seen me? Do you know how smart I am? I know that tree looks good. I'm going to eat that, right? And we make decisions the same way. We think the God who made the universe has no idea what I'm going through. The God of the universe has, he doesn't know what I'm experiencing or feeling. He no, I'm making this decision based on what I think, right? That's how so many of us make decisions. Based in our own wisdom, not God's wisdom. Seniors, if there's one thing that I would, I guess, say that I'm praying for you, as you venture out, that God would give you, it's, it's this, it's wisdom. And how do you get it? Proverbs 1, 7, Chandler, I think we have this one. Proverbs 1, 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It says, what it takes to be wise is to have the fear of the Lord, is to have a relationship with God right first. The most important thing is not what college you're going to, even though we celebrate that, or what trade school you're going to, even though we celebrate that. What's most important is not who you're going to marry or where you're going to live or those sorts of things. What comes first, Solomon says, is the fear of the Lord. It's a relationship with God because that's what you were created for in the beginning. It's a fear of him that you say, God, I don't know what's best. And you're going to feel that a lot in the next few years. I don't know. How do I adult? I don't know. Know God first and foremost. That's what matters. And as your mind is filled more and more and more with God's word, then wisdom will seep out like a sponge, right? As you fill it, fill it, fill it with God's word, when, you, when life squeezes you, when things get difficult, what squeezes out is what? God's word, because that's what you've been filling yourself with, right? So if you want wisdom, you want to know how the world works, 
You want to live successfully in this world? It's not about all the things the world will tell you. It's about wisdom. It's about fear of the Lord. It's about a relationship with God because that's what you were created for. I want to read one proverb to finish. Proverbs 2. And Paul, Solomon is going to describe what it is. Remember, he's wrestling with this question of how does the world work? The world that God created and we broke. And he's wrestling with this question, how do we get back to life? How do we get to where we have life? Not, not death and brokenness. And how do I get to where I have life? This is Proverbs 2. He's going to lay it out there, the path to life. It says, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Solomon, crying out to his son, says, what is the path to life? What is your road to success? It's wisdom. It's calling out for wisdom from God. And wisdom comes from first fearing the Lord and from knowledge of his word. So how do you find life? It's through his word. That's what Solomon's teaching, and that's what he lived out by, <laughs> by not doing it. Solomon showed us with his life over and over again that nothing on this earth will satisfy. The only thing that will is a relationship with God because that's what we were created for. So to finish, I want to go back to this statement. If I just had blank, then I would be satisfied and complete. If I just had blank, then I would be satisfied and complete. What do you fill that with? What is it in your heart and in your mind that you think, if I could just get that thing, then everything would make sense? Solomon is crying out to us from Scripture today that if you fill in that blank with anything in this world, anything under the sun, you will be empty. The only thing that can go in that blank and satisfy you is what you were created for from the beginning, which was what? To have a relationship with God. 
So if you feel empty today, if you feel maybe more like Solomon in the end of his life, and you're going, man, I've chased all these things, I've, I've tried this, I've tried that, and nothing has ever filled me. Let me tell you this, you weren't created to be empty. You weren't. God created you to have life and a relationship with him. You don't have to be empty. God wants to fill you. He wants to give you wisdom, and he doesn't want you to be empty. You can have that. It takes a little humility because you have to admit that you're empty first. You have to admit that you're a sinner who thinks you know better than God. But once you admit that, and you come to this humble place where you go, God, I don't know what's best, <coughs> and you hear that God sent his son Jesus to die in our place so that you could be full and have life again, right? and you cry out to him, right? he will fill you. You don't have to be empty. You don't have to spend your life chasing things that will not satisfy. There is one who will satisfy. His name is Jesus. Give your life to him. Trust him with everything, and you can find life. Let me pray. God, I pray today for each one of us. God, we're so tempted to think that something in this world Someone, something, some position, some power will satisfy us, God, will complete us, will make everything right, and will take away all the bad, God. And there's, there's only one answer in that blank that will actually do all those things, and it's Jesus, God. It's a relationship with you through Jesus. God, forgive us where we fail you, God, where we seek after satisfaction and pleasure and, and comfort and peace in anything besides you. God, help us to see that you are the only way. God, you are the only satisfaction in this world. God, help these seniors to, to learn it at an early stage in life. Help them not to, to waste their life chasing empty things, God. God, may they chase after the one thing that will fill them. You. God, we love you. And, and as we respond now, we can you can come forward and pray. We'll be here to pray with you. You can bow at the altar. You can sit in your seat by all means. You can stand, whatever it is. Um, but I pray that you would be honest about where you're at, about if you're seeking really to find your satisfaction in God um, or trying to find it in anything else. The band's going to sing. If you would, stand. And